So our scripture reading today comes from Mark 4, verse 1 to 9, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parable, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. It's so good to be here. I, um, we took about a month of a break, which was amazing. First time being home in six years. Uh, had lots of awesome time. Of course, my dad made me preach at his church in Korean, which was not easy. Um, but it's overall, it was a wonderful trip. Thank you guys for praying. Uh, I shared before I went, when I spend time with my parents, I become a 12-year-old, like cranky complainer. Uh, my wife kept me in check. I did okay. I think I got a B. Uh, so thank you guys for praying. Uh, last, and I want to thank all the elder, elder Charles and other pastors that have stepped in to preach in my absence. I was tremendously blessed, man. Uh, we have tremendous preachers, uh, preachers in making. So I hope you guys, if you guys missed it, catch those messages. Uh, so as I was listening to, I was catching up. I didn't join you guys live. It was like midnight over there. As I was catching up on these sermons that was preached uh, from our church, past two weeks, uh, I realized we've been in, we've been speaking around the theme of going deeper. Everyone say going deeper. Two people? Going deeper. And two weeks ago, Pastor Mike, our intern pastor, spoke his first sermon from John 15, this call to abide, remember? To remain, to abide. And without truly abiding, Jesus says it very clearly in John 15, without abiding in him, remaining in him, you cannot do anything. Last week, Pastor James, my good friend, he spoke from Luke 9 on this call to follow and the cost of following Jesus that many who wanted to follow Jesus did not end up following him because they understood the cost. They couldn't go further. They couldn't go deeper. So I wanted to come along these two sermons and really look together at the passage that was read Today, by our sister Hannah, Mark 4. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark 4, and I'll just walk us through this passage. And I, what all I want to do is add to what was already shared in past two weeks. Uh, and, and, and if you know me, I love parables. You know, I spend probably every other year, I want to spend some time teaching through Jesus' parables because I think it's brilliant the way Jesus taught through common things that people understood. But this particular parable that we're dealing with today has a special place in my heart because for one, unlike many other parables that we find in Luke and John and Matthew and Mark, Jesus doesn't leave us to ourselves to interpret this parable. In fact, verses 
14 to 20, which we didn't read today, he gives us the exact interpretation of what each of these elements signify. If anyone's desiring to be a preacher, this is, the easy, this is the easiest sermon to preach because Jesus does the hard work for us. Second, more importantly, there is a sobering reminder or perhaps a much-needed warning for those that are in the church. And the warning is, is this, simply being in the presence of teaching and preaching of God's word will not bring the change you are hoping to receive. Just by coming to church, just by sitting amongst the crowd, fruit-bearing is not guaranteed, actually. That's what Jesus says through this parable. I remember my junior year. Do you think I was a good student or a bad student? Anybody take a guess? I wasn't a very good student. I was very interested in making money. I was very interested in doing other things. So out of desperation, like I almost, I didn't think I was going to go to college. I was going to join the army, do, do my thing. But out of desperation, my junior year, in, in America, there's this thing called SAT. It's basically like Korean Sunung. Sunung is like this college entrance exam. And I think my score was like terrible. I'm embarrassed telling my score. Everyone has hope, right? Um, and my parents are so desperate. They're like, this guy is going to join the army. We're going to lose our son forever. This was after, this is right before the war. And this, this is crazy, right? So they signed me up for a very expensive SAT uh, prep school. And every Saturday, 8 a.m., because I knew how much it cost and how much uh, my parents really wanted me to go, I would go there, sit through a four-hour class. I did that for six months. Guess what? My score went down. <laughs> I was not excited about being in that class. It's not enough to just show up. You know this, right? It's not just, it's not just enough to go to the gym, right? Some of you guys want to get in shape. It's summer or it's already summer. It's too late next year, maybe. Uh, you guys are getting ready for next year. It's not enough to just show up in the gym. You got to actually put in the work. And there's a sobering warning for us. It's not just enough for us to sit. So now on to the passage, Mark chapter 4. Mark, from the very beginning, tells us that there was a very large crowd that have gathered to hear Jesus teach. Right? If, if you understand the stage of Jesus' ministry now, Jesus has done amazing things, unbelievable things. He has, he has welcomed the sinners. He has fed uh, thousands of people. He has engaged those that were unengaged. And now there's a huge crowd that wants to see this man teach. So Jesus is by the waters. There's such a crowd that he has to get on a boat. He's teaching from a boat. Imagine just thousands of people, and he's teaching from the boat. And verses 2 to 8 of our passage, Jesus is facing this large crowd. A crowd of those that are religious, those that are not religious, those that are God-fearing Jews, just a mixed crowd. And he starts teaching them in a way that they can understand. He talks about farming. Right? A very familiar subject to people at the time. Like, I talk about farming. You guys have no idea what farming is. You guys are like, we go to Emart for our produce. But people back in the days, they all farmed. Farming was a huge part of way of living. So Jesus brings a very familiar subject to talk about farming. And he says, kingdom of God is like farming. 
And the same farmer, right? It's not different, four different farmers that go out in the story. Same farmer goes out to plant same seeds. But the seeds that fall on four different types of soil have radically different results. And Jesus says these four soils, if you read the story, represent the condition of people's heart when approaching God's word. So Jesus tells his parable to the crowd, and he's spending time with his disciples. He's debriefing the teaching, and, and he's like, you don't understand what I was talking about? Well, let me tell you what this is about. I'm talking about people's heart when they're about to receive God's word. So four types of soil We'll walk through each one rather quickly. So the first soil that we find in our passage is in verse 4. And Jesus says, So I went out, went to see the sow the seed, and it fell on a hard ground where people walked on, like a street where people were walking. And Jesus says, Immediately birds, these hungry birds came and devoured the seed. And Jesus, again, in verse 15, gives the interpretation. And he says, the birds represent Satan. There's this guy, Satan, who is against my kingdom and my work. And Satan will do all he can to keep not only, keep, not, keep you and I distracted. Right? Every time God's word is being preached, whether it's this Sunday setting, whether you're opening the word on your own, whether it's through a situation, through someone, God is trying to speak to you, know that Satan is actively there to keep you distracted. Case in point, I'll prove it to you right now. Even as all of us are sitting here to listen to me talk, you are distracted. Perhaps you may be thinking, why is that shirt so short? That's why I was thinking the same thing this morning. This is a short shirt. Perhaps uh, the, the way my voice sounds. Perhaps maybe you're thinking about an argument you had with your coworker, or argument you had at home with your spouse. Perhaps you're thinking, you're thinking, man, I'm hungry. I want to get some burgers. After Now you're really distracted. Perhaps you're thinking about all the things that you need to accomplish before your week begins tomorrow. Perhaps you're thinking about just random things. Random things come through. In fact, some never made it through these doors this morning. Good job, guys, for making it through the door because post-COVID, right, the sort of the culture now, it's so easy to miss church. I'll tell you, for four weeks I was in the States, it was so easy for me to miss church. It was like I got up and I was like, oh, I'm a little tired. I'll just watch online. It's so easy to not even make it to church. Or you sit down, you finally have a moment in your busy schedule to read the word, you, you get your daily prayer project, you get out your Bible, and you open it up, trying to pray, trying to connect with God, and what happens? All of a sudden, your phone goes off, you have 20 notifications. And the next thing you know, you're on Instagram posting something, posting something that you have, I don't know, does what? There's constant, right? So it's easy for us to think, well, Satan loves these dark places. Satan loves these, these unchurched places. But, but know that Satan loves the church as well because he wants to come and distract us from hearing from the Lord. So let me just pray for us now 
that, that we've talked about distraction. Let's pray. Lord, we silence the voice of the evil one. We silence our own voices and our own thoughts. We came because we want to hear from you, Lord. Would you speak to us today? Just let me pray. Amen. Amen? Are we ready now? All right, the second soil, Jesus describes it as a rocky ground. This is not a plot of land with many little rocks, because when you hear rocky ground, that's what I was thinking. Rather, if you look at the Greek, Jesus is describing a plot of land. I drew for you guys. You see that little arrow. A plot of land where underneath a thin layer of soil, there is this giant piece of stone that prevents from the seed of, to seed from going deeper, from seed being planted, from taking roots. On the outside, if you're looking at it from outside, the, the soil and the land looks good, but underneath the surface is a completely different story. So Jesus says there's an instant joy when receiving the word. There's instant growth, but any type of rain or wind or any type of terrain will blow it away because it does not have depth. It is not rooted. Verse 16, Jesus says, These are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word, receive it immediately with joy, Yet they have, because they have no root in themselves, they endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, they immediately fall away. You don't have to be a farmer to know for anything, any plant to be healthy, it needs to be rooted deeply. We know this. It's just physics. It's just logic. For anything to be able to withstand any kind of wind, any kind of storm, it needs to be rooted deeply. And, and, and so we got to really pay attention to Jesus' words here. Notice the scripture doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, if tribulation arises, if persecution comes, if things get hard, if hardships and challenges come our way. No, it doesn't say if. My Bible doesn't say if. What's the transitional phrase that your Bible says? It says, when. Everyone say, when. Not if, but when. This is important, right? You see, when our faith is challenged, when we face hardships and setbacks, when our faith is challenged, when we face these difficult, hard things, friends, Jesus has not promised that when we choose to follow him, when you and I make that commitment to follow him, he's going to take away all hardships, all challenges, all difficulties from our lives. That's, I know, I know some churches preach that where when you, when you follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. Your depression will be gone. Your debt problem will be gone. The car that you want, you name it, claim it, that, that's not scripture. That's what we want. That's sort of what I want too, if I'm really honest. But that's not scripture. Jesus never promised that if we sign up to, to, to come to him and if we, if we confess our sins and commit ourselves to him, that we're not going to face any trials. He never promises that. In fact, friends, there'll be times 
Mark my words. Maybe not now. Maybe you're really excited about following Jesus now. But I'll tell you, there'll be times obeying Jesus will cost the things that you love. Obeying Jesus will cost you relationships, cost you opportunities, cost you finances. Obeying Jesus will cause you to confront the values and the ways of how this world works. Perhaps it's going to confront the way we think about our lives and our vision and what we want. And this is precisely the reason why when we read 1 Peter 4.12, Apostle Peter, the, the Peter, the main disciple, he says what? He tells us, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. Instead, he says, rejoice. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. That's for verse 14. But if I'm honest, I know we sang these wonderful songs, and, 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 and thank you, worship team, for leading us through these wonderful songs. We, we think about Christ is enough for me. I, I love that song, but I'm thinking sometimes he's not. Sometimes I struggle to really sing that, if I'm really honest. And whenever, and, 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 and whenever I feel as if I've done my best to follow Jesus, to follow what God's telling me to do, yet life seems to get harder, guess what? I am often shocked. I am often surprised. In midst of suffering, often it's not faith that comes out, but it's fear. Can I be honest with you? It's fear. It's doubt. It's mistrust. Three years into our church plan, we went through crazy things. Third year. You guys are joining us after all these craziness. So you guys are blessed if you join. Three years in the church plan. So much has happened. I was done with ministry. I said, Lord, I'm done. This, this is too much drama. I mean, I've done 12 years. I've never seen this much drama. Like one year, so much drama. I was like, Lord, I'm done. I wish I could say, man, I had faith. But it took me, it took me like a, a full year to just say, okay, Lord, I'll just continue. But I don't know what's happening. I don't have faith that things are going to turn around. Because faith is hard. Let's be honest. Faith is not easy. Doubt is easy. Complaining to God is easy. Wanting control of the situation is easy. But faith, if we're really honest is difficult. Yet, yet I look back to even those, the crazy third year of our church plan and, and all the ups and downs of seasons of crisis that I've experienced in my walk with Jesus. It's through those seasons that God has grown my faith. Now when, like, before the third year, I was, like, worried about everything. Now it's like, oh, the presentation, the, the, the projector doesn't want, no worries. We don't have worship leader, no worries. We'll figure it out. It's, I'm less worried because I know God has pulled us through and God will continue to pull us through. It's through those challenging seasons, whatever you're facing maybe today, it's through those challenges, even though we may not like it, God is strengthening us. God is settling us. Listen to Pastor Edmund Cloudy, he says this about trials. 
challenges, difficulties. He says, and I quote, trials should not surprise us, just like Peter, or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness, even though that's really hard. Rather, we should actually be glad for them. God sends trials to strengthen our trust in Him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence and drive us to our Savior. Raise your hand if you need that. I need that. Literally, raise your hand. I need, I need God to burn away my self-confidence. I need God to drive me to my Savior because I am always tempted to look for my Savior in something else. So, so friends, if any of you are struggling, going through one of these crises of life, may I encourage you, as someone who's gone through a few crises of my own, keep coming to God. You may not understand everything. God may not tell you everything. Keep coming to God. Keep pursuing Him. Just, if you, you know, there were, there were days I couldn't pray. I literally just, Sat and I said, God, I can't pray, but I'll sit here because that's all I can do. But if that's all you can do, God will meet you there. It's okay. It's okay not to pray, but come. Continue to be in His presence. Continue to allow His Word to be. If you don't want to read the Bible, just, just play the app. You don't know what Leviticus is talking about? Just listen to it. Let it wash over you. Because the lie in the storm, the lie in our trials, the lie that I continue to believe in when we were going through something really difficult is that God is absent, that God doesn't care. God is not concerned. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to share with you as someone who's gone through a few trials of my own that God is in it. You may not feel him, you may not sense him, you may feel deeply hopeless, but God is in your trial. It's through these moments God strengthens who we are in him. Amen? We need trials. We need storms. The third soil... Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and, they, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Okay, I drew these thorns. You see these little thorns? Is that, you see these little thorns out of the little, little things? Okay. Um, according to Jesus, verse 19, there are these, so, so there is growth, but there are these thorns that grow with the plant, and the, the, the thorns prevent the plant from bearing fruit because ultimately, when a farmer plants seeds, it's to what? It's not to just look at the flowers. It's to bear fruit. That's the purpose. And according to Jesus, verse 19, these thorns that you see in the story, they represent, and Jesus makes it very clear what they represent. It's the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things will come and choke the word. Jesus cannot be more clear. Friends, deep down inside, on the turf of my heart and your heart, we all have something that is in fierce competition with our commitment to Jesus. Whether that's pursuit of our 
pursuit of love, pursuit of money, influence, significance, acceptance, identity, or something else. It may be very different from what I pursue and what you pursue may be very different, but Jesus says there are thorns in our lives that are in competition. And when our affection for money, security, or other things go unchecked, even good things can quickly become the very idols that we worship. Let me explain a little bit more about the devastating consequences of the sin of idolatry because if we single out one sin, both in Old Testament and New Testament, it comes down to the sin of idolatry. Old Testament, New Testament, really, when you boil down God's problem with God's people is that God's people have forsaken good, amazing God to go after their own things. And I want, I want, to, I want to refer to Martin Luther, the reformer, and Martin Luther wrote a training book for young pastors called Large Catechism. It's called the Large Catechism. Not a very creative title, but Large Catechism. It was Large Catechism. And in the Large Catechism, he lays out his understanding of the Ten Commandments, because this is very important. Ten Commandments was the first law that God gave to his people. And, 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 and studying the Ten Commandments, Martin Luther, the reformer, he says the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. That first commandment, the, the warning against the sin of idolatry is the foundational piece to everything. That's the first, very first commandment because the rest of the nine commandments, in a sense, are based on that very first commandment. It's not like every commandment has equal weight. Luther says, if you actually do the first one well, you're not going to have to worry about other ones. It's because you are not honoring the first commandment. We kill, we steal, we destroy, we envy. So Luther says, why does a person envy? Why do we envy to speak, right? You saw a nice car. You saw someone with nice things. We envied, right? Why do we envy? We don't envy unless we've already made something more than God, our functional Savior, our greatest joy and source of happiness. Think about this. We, we lie, we, we envy, we cheat, either because the very thing that have captivated our heart is more important than God's or because money is more important than the security you have in God. Why do I, when I drive out to my Sorrento, my Kia Sorrento, that's 10 years old now, when I see a nice Genesis SUV, I love it. I've envied a Genesis, I confess to you. Why do I do that? Or, or, or let's, let's go maybe even, even deeper. Why do I worry about my daughter's education? That's a big topic. It's a hot, as, as I was in America, everyone's like, how are you going to pay for international school? And I, I worried a lot about international school like tuition. It's like $30,000. Why do I worry so much? Why do I do all these planning and think about our future? Because ultimately, deep down inside, I have a hard time trusting that God's going to come through and take, take care of my family. So listen to Luther. This is what Martin Luther says about functional Savior. He says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, 
that is really your God, your functional Savior. See, we can sing these songs of wonderful confession. We can shed tears. And we can pray sincere prayers. And we can say that Jesus is the center. Jesus is all we need. Yet Luther says, unless Jesus is what our hearts truly clings to, and unless he is truly where our hearts confide in, he is not our Savior. So let me ask you this afternoon, friends, what gives you meaning? What gives you sense of deliverance, sense of relief, sense of redemption? Because unless Jesus is your, according to Luther, unless Jesus is your deliverance, Jesus is the source of your redemption and joy, you have other saviors that you can run to. So friends, unless the gospel, the seed, the gospel is deeply planted in the very core of who we are, we can pray, we can sing, we can give, we can come to church, we can join community group, we can go on missions. But eventually, these other things will choke our faith. Anyone discourage that? Past time we came back all gloomy and sad, okay. It's discouraging if the parable ended there. But we have one more soil in verse 20. The good soil. Sounds promising. Verse 20, Jesus says, For those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That's an unbelievable Harvest, no matter, no matter who you are. If I wish we were farmers here, because you'd be like, that's crazy. Like 30, 60, 104, that sounds unbelievable. Yet Jesus promises a tremendous harvest. Now, what's really interesting and, and sort of I think is anticlimactic is that Jesus doesn't give us much details about what makes a soil truly good. I, I, I read this passage many times. I preached on this passage many times. And I th- always think about, okay, Jesus, you talk so much about first soil, second soil, and third soil. And the final soil, it's like very anticlimactic. It's like, oh, it was good soil, accepted it. It was good. And that doesn't sound too complicated, but like, what's the secret sauce, Jesus? Like, that's what I want to know. But I think this is intentional on Jesus' part. Because if Jesus gave us elaborate description of what it means to be good soil, because all of us want to be good soil, we may walk away assuming fruitfulness is really up to us. If we could pray more, if we could serve more, if we could give more, if we could come to church more often and and do these things, if we could do our religious things, if we could be less distracted by Satan, and if we lean, we can learn to endure, you know, these difficult, hard things and continue to reorient our heart towards God and not have idols, we can be immensely fruitful. That could be the, that could be the message that we walk away with, but that's not what Jesus is wanting us to walk away with. Friends, this parable is not simply about human psychology or attitude in approaching our faith. 
Here, Jesus is speaking about the uncanny reality of what happens when the gospel invades a person's life. The parable is not about our ability or our inability, but it's about announcement of inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God entering, invading, taking root into a world that is desperately in need of a savior. So this means the astounding harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold that Jesus promises in our passage is not a wishful thinking or something we need to accomplish, but it's a promise. So friends, when Jesus invades our lives, our lives will never be the same again. The parable Right, really what Jesus was, wants to accomplish through this parable, I think, is, a, is to give us a reminder, a much-needed encouragement that God is truly at work. Even when we may not see Him working, even when we are discouraged and we may not feel like He's working and He's with us and He's walking with us through these storms and pain and challenges, even when we feel utterly lost about God, what the parable is teaching us is that when God invades our life, when Jesus invades our life with the message of the gospel, our lives will never be the same. He is continuing his transformative work. And only one thing remains for us to do. If there's anything we need to do, there's only one thing, simple thing, is to listen as he gives us courage to do, do so. So friends, discipleship is not what we can make of ourselves. But it is trusting, allowing both sower and the seed to produce a harvest of which we alone, we simply cannot produce. And isn't this the very reason why Christ entered creation, why Jesus came into our lives? Friends, this is the gospel and we'll, we'll wrap up here. Jesus came, not because we were doing well or because we needed a little encouragement, but because we needed his rescue. Jesus came because we are often distracted and discouraged and disillusioned. And it's only through Jesus' obedience our fickle hearts are reshaped onto his. And, and the scripture tells us Jesus overcame all temptation, all tribulation, all suffering, even the most gruesome death, death on a cross, innocent death, because his love and commitment to us was never in competition with anything else. And it's only by his life, his death and resurrection, we have been given new life, a life of fruitfulness. So friends, I, I am excited to let you know it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done or how you have lived or how you have not lived since last time you heard the gospel. The invitation is still there for you to hear and receive him still. Is That still stands. So verse 9, Jesus says, he or she who has ears to hear, let them hear. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for 
this reminder. Lord, um, I confess, it's so easy to read scripture and walk away thinking we need to do better. It's so easy to walk away from these parables and thinking, oh, it's up to us. Got to try harder. Got to pray harder. Got to do more. But Jesus, you are, I believe through Mark 4, you are recentering us and saying it's not, it's not up to us. As, as weird as that sounds, the gospel is you invading, you coming in, you transforming and it's hard for us to understand that because we live in a world of, of, of give and, and take and we live in the world of love that's conditioned. So Holy Spirit, I just pray you would open us up again and remind us that your love is different. Your, your story is different. Your salvation is different. Lord, I also pray if anyone is struggling today, if anyone is barely just making it, would you, would you meet them today? Would you encourage them today? Would you speak to them today? And Lord, we just pray, continue to burn away our self-confidence. Continue to burn away our trust in ourselves. Even if it means we have to face some storms. We, we choose, Lord, to be in your house one day, then thousands elsewhere storm with you and thousands of elsewhere in, in plenty and in happiness. Thank you for this reminder. Just let me pray. Amen.